Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. make I know it was an effort to be here all right I, I don't I don't discount that at all I know it was an effort to be here and so I appreciate you making the effort to be in the house to be in the house of the Lord again uh, as conversation that I've had more than once with you all after uh, candlelight service we will be streaming only audio to Facebook after that until uh, we we uh, accumulate funds for the purchasing of the other things in order to get back to doing that on a regular basis and and uh, uh, in better our uh, internet connection around here at the church it is really really uh, poor okay and I don't know how you know outside of just looking down at it as something's deceased it's just really poor and such but uh, uh, just just bear with us in that okay along the way and I know that you will uh, and such so uh, help us to be prayerful and mindful about all of those things we're going to read from Acts chapter number two I have uh, I've spent yesterday over here trying to uh, find the purpose and the mind of God uh, for tonight. And, and uh, I know sometimes, uh, atypically, I, I'm a pretty thematic person. Uh, as a pastor, I, I, you know, preach Father's Day sermons and Mother's Day sermons and Easter sermons around all those particular seasons and times of year. Uh, God just helps me in that in that way. And uh, many times you hear maybe one or two or three Christmas sermons in the month of December. I'm sorry to tell you I don't have a Christmas sermon uh, for you tonight per se. All right, I don't have a Christmas sermon for you, but I, I do feel like uh, the Lord laid something on my heart later in the evening yesterday after I'd already had went home. And uh, I sat down and just scribbled a few things down upon a piece of paper and, and tried to uh, uh, develop that just a little bit more this afternoon. And uh, so I want to minister the word of the Lord because this, this, will be the last, this will be my last time talking to you in this year. I'm not misspeaking in that moment. We're having an evangelist. We're having candlelight. We're having super church. So this will be my last time talking to you uh, this year. And so uh, whatever that means. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like the last words of pastor of 2020. You know. Acts 2 and verse 44. I'm also going to be reading from Acts chapter number 4 and verse 32. Uh, there's similarities in these two verses. We need the Holy Ghost to help us tonight. We do every time that we have church. But uh, I just particularly need the Holy Ghost to help me here tonight. Acts 2 and verse 44. This follows a grand event. If anybody, is anybody familiar with Acts 2? This follows a grand event. I think from the youngest to the oldest has a little bit of familiarity with Acts 2. The, the verse says, verse 44, And all that believed were together and had all things common acts 4 and verse 32 another great event taking place another occurrence of the outpouring of the holy ghost had just taken place and the bible says in acts 4 and verse 32 this these particular words and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul 
neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. I want to minister to this church, this church family right here tonight, this subject matter, all things common, all things common. I want the Holy Ghost to help us tonight. Father, I come to you. God, for whatever purpose or reason, God, after hours of seeking you and trying to find, Lord Jesus, your purpose, God, you just threw something into my spirit. God, I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't, Lord, pondering anything, but you just deposited something in my spirit. I pray, oh God, tonight, Lord Jesus, these being, Lord, the last time that I address this group of people before the calendar turns into a new year, I pray, oh God, that you're able to help us in some measure. Help us in some way here this evening, Lord Jesus, as I, Lord, endeavor and attempt, Lord Jesus, to convey what I feel on my heart and mind and soul, Lord Jesus, for this evening. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. All things common. Two places here in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the actions of the early church that these words are in particularly recorded. Both of the times in which we find their record in Scripture, they come on the heels of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. People's lives who had been changed by the presence and the power of God. They had been witnesses and they had been visited by the Spirit. They had been participants in speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. They had received that gift, that promise of God. The Bible speaks to us on both of these occasions that after this outpouring of the Spirit in these different settings and in these different locations, that there was, a, there was a synergy among the people. There was a community, as it were, among the people. The Bible says, even in chapter number 2, that this grouping of people that had had this similar experience, that they continued in certain things that the Bible describes, that they continued steadfastly. Verse number 42 of chapter 2, they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. They, they had some things in common. The things that they had in common, of course, they had gathered people from every nation and every race of people gathered here to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And yes, it was a peculiar moment because they were all there and it was during these times of feasts such as Pentecost and Tabernacles and Passover when they all gathered to Jerusalem that everybody kind of shared in uh, giving up spaces in their homes for some of these people to stay. They shared meals. They were very intimate occasions of having all things common. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. They slept in some of the same courses because people had left their homes to come to these particular places. But beyond just being the festival 
festival of Pentecost. There's something that is also being bespoken here in Scripture that in spite of there being a festival, in spite of there being a gathering together of people, that there was just commonalities that the early church held with one another. It went beyond the aspect of believing in one God. It went beyond the aspect of their doctrine. It went beyond the aspect of of coming into a sanctuary or a tabernacle to do offerings and service unto the Lord. But just in their everyday typical lives, they had some things in common. It It wasn't uncommon for them to share times together that each would share each other's woes or times of difficulty that they would bear the load between one and another. In both of these instances, even the Bible describes that they had this this sharing of possessions. And I'm not just talking about money, but of their talents and their abilities and their giftings and their time, that they had all things common. They would come alongside to the aid of one another as brothers and sisters within the context of the temple and outside of the context of the temple. They had all things in common. I don't want you to think here tonight that I'm starting to endorse that we need to have some type of communal and everybody bring sleeping bags to the church and we'll all just sleep at the church every week and we'll, you know, share the grocery bill among us all and all of that time. I'm not by no means trying to start an occult, okay? But I'm just telling you, they were sensitive to the needs of the people. They were sensitive to the needs of their brothers and sisters. They were sensitive to their needs and to their struggles and things that would come upon them. They had all things in common. One man even probably perhaps said it best. He he spoke of the early church in both Acts 2 and Acts 4 as though there was just this entire consent and agreement of course in their doctrine and in their matters of faith that was described in the Old Testament going forward. They were all of the same mind and of the same judgment and there seemed to be a perfection in their harmony and in their practice and they all performed similar and same duties and those that had others they complemented the duties of somebody else and they observed the same commands of scripture and the ordinances and many times they are pursuing the same interests and they had the same ends, aspirations and goals in mind of making heaven their home but even greater than that there was a union that was among them that they had an effect for one another so much so that you could almost describe it as though their souls as Acts 4 describes they were of one heart and they were of one soul their soul was near one to the other amen in so much so that there was one soul in reality one heart a part of this large body community multitude of believers The old, old philosopher Aristotle said this. He said, being asked what a friend was, he answered and said these words. He said, a friend is one soul dwelling in two bodies. And oftentimes whenever I think of all things in common concerning the church or the grouping of people that make up a church, I think of the singularity of a soul, but it's dwelling in each and every one of us with purpose, amen, with a tenderness, with a sensitivity to the needs of one another. It makes me think about how the Bible describes in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 the story of David and Jonathan. The Bible says, and it came to pass that when he, David, had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his 
own soul. First Samuel 18 comes right after First Samuel 17, isn't that deep? Amen, but in 1 Samuel 17, it's where David went out to fight Goliath. It's where Saul had offered David his own armor as king to go out and fight a giant that King Saul did not fight or at the very least felt as though he could not defeat but he sent David. And as David comes back from the battle and he is having conversation with Saul, he's talking to Saul. He doesn't stand there with a sense of arrogance. He doesn't stand there with a sense as though he had a higher standing than Saul because he was willing to go fight and defeat Goliath and Saul wasn't willing either to go or at least felt like he might be defeated. That wasn't the words that was flowing from David's mouth at this period of time. But as David is talking, Talking to Saul. There is an observer, Jonathan, over here in the corner that's hearing every word. He's hearing every speech. Amen. And David is asked concerning his family. And David evidently speaks concerning his family. And we have no record in Scripture that there are any negative words necessarily flowing from his mouth. Nothing negative is recorded. When in reality, if David wanted to, he could get a little negative about his own family. He could talk about whenever the anointing of kingship came you know that he was never called by his father Jesse how Eliab his elder brother when he came to the battle even spoke just horribly toward him but he didn't say any of that he just spoke about his family and the Bible says whenever Jonathan heard him speak when he made an end of speaking that Jonathan's soul was knit with with David's soul I believe there's something in that scenario that Jonathan felt like through the speech of David of how he didn't make himself with a greater heir than King Saul though he's the one that went to battle that is David and though he didn't speak any negativity about his family that in Jonathan he seen somebody that he could trust in Jonathan he seen someone that he could trust amen and he seen how he how how he could perhaps be helped and how he spoke about others in so much that the Bible says in that moment his soul was knit with the soul of David amen there were some things if you will that was in common in the past few years and I want everybody please to understand me plainly here tonight I'm not talking about the past few months I'm not talking since the onset of COVID in the in the month of March but I'm saying for the past few years at times I have felt personally as a pastor as though people have lost or at least lessened their commitment to the church just bear with me here for a moment as a result I I may have been guilty sometimes of touting verses Bishop McGee like Hebrews 10 25 that says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching but through the years or through even the past few months of further thinking and pondering concerning these things it has led me to believe this that I wish to share with you tonight is what we face as a church and I'm talking about right here locally that what we face as a church is not a commitment to church problem as in a commitment to the physical church building as much as a commitment to church problem as in the people that make up the church. It's not so much our problem is a commitment to the building or a commitment so much so to the physical building, but we have suffered, I think, over the years in a commitment 
to each other in a commitment in holding all things common. We have somehow grown lack or have failed and being able to hold up each other's hands when hands need to be held up. We have fallen short in such a way of a commitment to the men and the women that we worship with three times a week. We come, we go, we enter, we exit, we clock in and we clock out. But we've missed the community. We have missed the fellowship. We have missed, if you will, the bearing of one another's burden. It's not so much the commitment to the institution as much as it is the commitment to one another. Someone say amen. Because assembling, as the scripture says there in Hebrews 10, 25, the assembling of ourselves together is one thing. And that is very biblical. And it is a practice and it is something that's mandated by scripture. And it's not to be ignored. But the purpose of the assembly, amen, reaches to a personal level. It's more than all of us occupying the same space in the same location. It goes to a personal level that verse 24 tells us that in that gathering of bodies and individual together we come alongside one another and we consider one another and we provoke one another to love and we provoke one another to good works and we exhort one another it's not about us showing up at the same place it's about us having a commitment to sister Perkins and a commitment to brother Terry McGee and there being a mutual flow and reciprocal that takes place between another it's about being committed to the church as a people. Assembling ourselves together is more than a gathering together in one place. It conveys even the, the word assembling together conveys the idea not just gathering in one place but even goes to the degree of the idea of a complete collection. In 19, or, or rather in 2019, somebody here at the church, there was a family, there was a member of a family, I think it was the Markle family, had a loved one that passed away. And as a result of that, there were some books and Bibles and other things that came in my possession to look through. And to take if I wanted so, they wanted it to go, amen, to certain individuals that had interests, of course, in the Bible and things of that nature. And so in the process of looking through books, and there were several things that I kept, in the process of looking through the books, I took these right here. These books right here, it's a set of commentaries, old commentaries, McLaren commentaries. It was a set of commentaries minus two books. Minus two books. Now... I could sat, and they did for some time, those books on my shelf. And as they sat there on my shelf, they were assembled together in the essence that they were gathered together in one place on my shelf. But they were far from being a complete collection. Oh, God. Because, and I began to look on Amazon and online, and Dad said, you get them, son, I'll pay for them, all this type of stuff. And they were about, maybe I don't remember, about 30 bucks a piece each volume, something like that. And I finally found, I found, I found the third volume because I was missing it. And the third volume held the Psalms through Isaiah chapter 48. And then the ninth, the ninth volume held the book starting with First and Second Corinthians all the way through 
1 Timothy. Now, this was a gathering of, of volumes right here. They were gathered. They were assembled together on my bookshelf. They, they met the, the, the description, the definition of being one place, but they weren't a complete collection. And the thing about a volume of books is this. Each one in some way doesn't stand alone by itself, but it's interdependent on the one that came before it and the one that comes after it. There was something about brother, brother Zach from Genesis to Revelation. I'm missing part and parcel of the whole story, the connectivity. If there was even just one volume that was suffering, because there's things that's spoken in the Psalms that are prophecies of Jesus' birth in Matthew and so. Someone say amen. What are you saying? I'm saying being assembled together goes beyond just all of us showing up in the same place. It's about having a complete collection of individuals that are interdependent upon each other. What does that mean? That means I depend on you and you depend upon me. This is not a one-sided. This is not me bearing all of your load or you bearing all of mine, but we're interdependent. Your sorrows become my sorrows. Your joy becomes my joy. I wonder if we could enter into an assemble together of having all things common that our joys could be doubled and perhaps our sorrows could be divided because we're the church. Amen. I got these other books over here. They, these books are some of the books that I read this year that I don't want to keep. Good books. Just I don't have... I don't have bookshelves for all this stuff. These are some of the other books I have. You look at some of these are on prayer. One of them's into thin air of a man's journey up Mount Everest. Others uh, are about a family. Others, I mean, they, they run the gamut. They sit right now just like that on top of my other books in my office. And my plan is to make a free library in front of my home to put my books that I read in for people to take. All right? But they're there. They constitute, if you will, and assembling together. But you could take any one of those books and what you read in one isn't necessarily going to help you or hurt you for the next book that you would read in that list. There is no inter interdependence. They stand alone. But sometimes the life of the church are just like these books. We share the same space. We show up the same time. We use the same prayer room. We worship to the same songs, but there's no interdependence between one another. Someone say amen. Ed Hirsch, he authored a book, since we're talking about him, I could talk about books all night, but he authored a book titled Culture Literacy. He mentions that there are certain events and people that we as Americans should share a common understanding about if we're truly Americans. He says whenever someone mentions Abraham Lincoln, they, Americans, should understand that he was a notable president. If you know anything about Lincoln, you may even know that he was the 16th president of the United States. And they may even, an American may even recall the Gettysburg Address, or they may recall the Emancipation Proclamation that held the words that all people are created equal. There, there is a sense, if you will, of emotional association that is similar to each of our lives whenever the name Abraham Lincoln 
because that just that just ties and tethers us together as Americans. Hirsch alluded to the fact that there is a huge difference. Hear me very clearly. That there is a huge difference in being an American and being a group of people who happen to reside on American soil. Likewise, can I tell you this evening that there is a huge difference between being the church and being a group of people who happen to assemble three times a week in the church building. I'm not preaching down to anybody tonight, but I'm talking to us as a church that we need to broaden our scope outside of the time frame of worship. We got to broaden our scope outside of the time that we spend here because when I'm outside these doors, Pat still has hurts between Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday that I need to be interdependent with him on. He still has an ear sometimes that I need to stop whatever's going on in my life and just take a moment to listen. Why? Because we're a part of the church. We're assembled. We might not be at the building, but we're a part of a codependent relationship, a part of the body. Amen. We got to somehow reassure and reestablish our commitment to the church, the people. So say amen. If there's a failure to assemble, listen to me clearly. If there is a failure to assemble at the church building, I believe, and, and I think perhaps maybe somewhere along the way and beyond COVID before it, some of that had taken place too, but hear me out tonight. If there is a failure to assemble at the church building, building it may be a symptom of a greater problem that I felt God was ministering my spirit it may be a symptom of a greater problem which is failing to have all things in common as a church organism in other words may, I'm just saying maybe here tonight maybe some of the problem of people being faithful to the church building is because they feel no faithfulness from church people Somebody hear me right now? Because we seem to go to clubs and committees and things of that nature and we go there and we hee-haw and we have a good time with one another and we enjoy each other's company and so we show back up the next week or the next time to do it all, again, all over again. Not so much so necessarily many times because of the function, because of the people that make up the function. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? It's not all about just the church and the church building and the songs and the worship and yes, God's thrown in there and we'll talk about that here a little bit but there's a drawing force just in the people being co-interdependent upon each other having all things in common let me say it plainly sometimes people don't want to go to a church building where they have no connection with the church people The one another language found throughout the scripture is quite evident. It's proliferated throughout New Testament scripture. The one another language that's found in the Bible itself expresses the fact that there needs to be this mutual interdependence 
one upon the other. It carries the idea of one another, each other, that there should be some type of reciprocal treatment, a mutual treatment of one another. I've shared this before, but I got my slide diagram up here tonight to help someone, even through the, the mindset of mathematics. A reciprocal is described. Don't get all those people that had already went on Christmas break. Here you go, your math lesson, all right? Amen, amen. Uh, the mathematics reciprocal is described as this, Mariah, amen, which you just loves math the ratio of unity to a given quantity or expression that by which the given quantity or expression is multiplied to produce unity that is the definition of mathematics for instance look at that variables a over b the reciprocal is b over a but when a over b is multiplied by its reciprocal it will always equal one in other words, if I have one half, the reciprocal of one half is two over one. And when they're multiplied together, they always produce one. It always comes about with unity. When we talk about the one anotherness in the Bible and scripture, when I reciprocate what I have received from you to start with, it will always produce one. It will produce unity and a oneness of all things in common. Someone say Amen. Amen. And so we understand this. Likewise, whenever we look in the scripture, even of Hebrews or in the book of Acts, whenever we consider these instructions of considering one another, provoking one another to love, provoking one another to do good works, exhorting one another, whenever you take that from somebody that they provoke you to love and you reciprocate that back to them mutually and it's multiplied, it's going to bring a connection in the church between the members of of the body there's going to be something forged between the members that even if the building didn't exist there will be a cohesion there'll be a cohesion you know what it will make me do it'll make me want to spend time with Josh and Sarah Johnson it'll make me want to show up and have conversation with the Adams family it'll make me want to inquire about the health issues of Terry and Rhonda McGee and Sharon amen it'll make oh yes it'll make me want to have an ear to listen so that I can take those things to God in prayer it'll make me want to help bear their burden and bear their load at whatever I had in my control to be able to help but the problem of the church is something that has leaked over I believe and spilled in from society and that is this we are suffering from individualism oh, yeah. We're suffering from individualism we have our space our house Many houses don't even have porches anymore. They want to be set back as far as they can off the road. Suffering from individualism. And partly, as individuals, we have isolated ourselves in corners to be untouchable, uncommunable, unrelatable. Let me do my time at church. Let me get out of here as quickly as I can and get to my home. I got my needs and my hurts. I'm just going to carry them all to the house. What if we bore one another's burdens? What if we were concerned about one another? Because here's the fact of the matter. People generally, I say generally, 
hesitate to get together with other people that have nothing in common with them. And that, in some respects, has become the downfall of the church. Not that we don't have anything in common, but that we won't allow ourselves the time to discover the commonalities we do have outside of a worship service. As a result, we decline as a church. Larry Crabb said this, and this is no reference to COVID-19. This is totally pre-COVID, pre-pre-pre. Larry Crabb said this. He said, unless we sense that we belong to each other with mask off. That's the reason why I said it was pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-pre-pre-pre. The vibrant church of today will become the powerless church of tomorrow. Brother Mason, I admit to you that this past week, my wife and I took a little endeavor to help the Motorad family out. We worked at Motorad this past week. And I was wakened once again, Brother Alex Mason, to the sense of community and culture that takes place in a close working environment. I worked on a packaging production line this week at Motorad. And within the overall company of Motorad, there are communities of people. Just took me a week to observe this. Communities of people that would typically make up a particular production line underneath a team leader. And there is no doubt in each of these lines an overall objective, but each player within the line plays an interdependent role in order to achieve the overall objective. Anybody that works ever worked a factory understands what I'm saying right now. I, I worked at the front of the line. I was dropping parts in boxes. I was the dropper, whatever the official name is given. Amen. But whenever I was dropping or there was an impossible task of three different parts going into a box, you know what happened in that moment? Other people came alongside me. Other people came alongside me to help me to bring us to a finality of a successful order. And when the line stopped, and it happened sometimes because Zach McGee wasn't there. But whenever the line, whenever the line stopped, amen, and this all took place and happened... <laughs> Because maybe the packager, which at that time was my wife, she was putting these individual parts into the bigger boxes. Maybe she fell behind. And you know what would happen? Those of us would go to where she was and begin to pick up these excessive parts and help put them in the box because she may have failed behind. They served in different positions. But at the moment, everybody flocked to where the need was. If the line stopped and sometimes it did, you didn't know what was going on. I'm up there dropping. I couldn't see my wife. We would holler out to one another. Was that you? We both had the ability to hit the red button to stop the line. What we meant with that intent was this. Did you stop it or did you stop it or was it something beyond your control? 
That's what we were really trying to get at. Or is it something beyond your control that stopped it? Was it the machine that stopped it? In other words, I didn't stand up here all day and think, well, she hit the button. She ever going to say, let's go? No, no, no. I didn't just assume that. I asked the question, did you stop it? Or is it something out of your control? What are you talking? I'm trying to say there needs to be an interdependence in the church. I'm hollering out to somebody tonight and saying, did you stop it? You might be asking me, did you stop it? It might just be something out of our control but let's investigate it and let's fix it take it let's have all things common let's I noticed see this just comes a little bit part of my personality I'm an observer I pick up on things I noticed that during break times and lunch times as we would enter that break room that these communities of people at different lines, whether consciously or subconsciously, typically ate together, sat together. They worked together out on the line. They came and ate their little break snack together, chewed the cud. They ate their lunch together. We worked long, they ate their other break together. Yet they're going to go back out and work alongside each other, and they're going to talk to each other. They had every opportunity in that moment of break and lunch to go isolate themselves from someone they've been around for all these other hours. But they didn't. You know why? Because they have formed a community on that line. Someone say amen. Conversation happened. Conversation happened this week. Every day this past week, I wore a different Christmas shirt, T-shirt, blue jeans, tennis shoes. I was Pastor Incognito. I was on there. They'd have the slightest idea I was a pastor. Amen. God, on there, I learned things about people on that line. There was one girl that worked on our line. She got married one day. During the middle of the day, came back to work even later after she got married. She showed us pictures of her kids. I, I learned the name of another individual working on that line that is related to Joe and Margaret Sutton. Amen. Got to talk to him. There was another man on that line called Gary. Got to know he owned some cattle and some pigs. And we were talking about farming. And I've been a pig farmer before way on in my early life and we got to talk about things like that amen how he still had chores to do when he got home when it was all said and done amen he told me about how his church just recently shut down literally because they they had a small group and that the money wasn't there and I invited him to this church and the pastor thing kind of came out then and I invited him to this church and all this stuff was going what are you saying brother McGee when's the last time you just had a conversation just to get to know somebody sitting here right now. Brother Mason has told us this before in our leadership training. You know, within their groups and within leadership and within cultures, there is a cultural language. There's something that takes place. There's words and phrases that become apparent and known among those groups that share in this close-knit kind of thing. We were there, and I learned, you know, a new phrase this week. I'm going to wrap it. And we're not talking about Christmas presents. And I'm not being the Grinch trying to wrap up Cindy Lou Who. But there was a, a line that curves around and comes back across before the box's top lid was folded. That we could send parts in that before they even had labels made and you could wrap it. I'm not talking about beatboxing either. I could have probably done it. 
rabbit. It was a language that is particular to the people that are involved because they share their meals, they share their lives, they share their hurts, they share their marriages, their successes, they share they share the things that they are proud. What are you talking about? I'm talking about we need all things in common in the church. If it can happen on a factory floor, if it can happen in a stadium, if it can happen in a community committee, it can happen in the church and should and ought to happen. There's people in other community groups that you're a part of that know more about your children than some of the people in the church. They know more of your favorites and your likes and dislikes than some people in the church. That should not be the case. We should be the people that hold all things in common. It's a commitment to the church, the people. We were created by God. And I alluded to it this morning early on. He took the pulse of our need of social interaction and fellowship. They were, humans were created, mankind was created to function with this one anotherness. Both with God, but also with each other. Sometimes we have regulated the church just to the interaction with God and have left out the with one another. Adam, the Bible says in the very first book of the Bible, he had fellowship with God. This is evident. God had to come down, had interaction with man in the cool of the day. He put him in the garden. He talked with him. Amen. About what tree was acceptable, what was not acceptable. He had fellowship with God. But it's clear that in some fashion, God came and walked in that garden in the cool of the day to the first couple, even to Adam himself. But in Genesis 1, seven times in the story of creation, God looked at what he had created and saw that it was good. But what follows in Genesis chapter 2 contrasts Genesis chapter number 1. God, please understand this. God had a sinless man in a garden that God had planted for him himself. And man had access Total free access, Brother Terry, to his creator, the creator of the universe. And God says to the sinless man that had total access to him, it's not good that man be alone. What are you saying? This man had opportunity for worship service at the church. But he lacked the interdependence and cohesiveness among any other human being. God says, here's a sinless man with the great creator, all full free access, but he still lacks something. The connection with another human being. What are you saying? I'm saying it can be a pitfall of the church to have all the free access to the spirit and the power of God. But if you miss the interaction and the fellowship of your fellow man, God says it's not. Because man's solitude was the first and the only thing in all of creation that God said, it's not good in my sight. A sinless man, limitless fellowship with God. But God says, I'm going to do something about this. Because it's not just fellowship with me that he needs. It's not just he needs to get to know me. He needs to get to know his fellow man, humanity. And evidently, God understood that man needed this fellowship so much that he brought then in Eve, he brought in this woman, this wife, that they could experience this together. Can I tell you tonight that not only do we see the need for this, but there is also a disregard of this that's found in the first family as well. 
After Cain, the Bible says, killed Abel, God approached Cain and asked him this question. Where is Abel thy brother? Again, you've heard me teach and preach. If God's asking a question, he don't need the answer. You do. Where is thy brother Abel? God didn't need to know, but he wanted Cain to be aware of this. That Cain, you abandoned your one anotherness with Abel. And Cain responded. I don't know if he was a little smug in his response. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And it was here, Sister Sharon, as early as Genesis, that humanity undervalued the mutual reciprocating life that they gave to one another in so much so that Cain did a deed to Abel took his life that Abel for sure could never reciprocate what are you saying brother McGee I'm saying this is everybody doing okay I was promising myself as I prayed in the back tonight I was not going to go an hour because I went an hour last week I went an hour this morning but these are the last words for this year is the only excuse I got there's a gentleman that I read about. His name is Randy. He had a son. Randy had a son who was born without a left hand. Came from the womb, born without the left hand. Randy's son did as most children did. Randy's son attended a church, and he attended a particular Sunday school classroom every Sunday morning that he was taught by the Sunday school teacher. The Sunday school teacher was given illustration concerning the church and doing something that many, probably maybe all of us had done growing up in Sunday school. She started doing the little thing. She said, now, here's the church. Here's the steeple. You open the church. Here's all the people. And she wanted all the students to participate in that activity without even thinking about that boy that was born without a left hand. Well, as they begin to get ready to do the activity, it dawns on her what she has just asked of them. And there's one, she knows that boy doesn't have a left hand. But before she could do anything, Brother James, another little boy that knew this boy almost seemingly from birth was friends went over to that boy without his left hand and came beside him and said, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the church. And that father said this. He said, never should it be done alone anymore in Sunday school classes or in the church at all. He said, because the church is more than you and it's more than just me, but it's us joined linked together that make the church the church having all things. See, your, your deficiency becomes my surplus. It's just something that... I'm not just talking in worship. I'm talking in prayer, in need, in burden, in groaning, in rejoicing, in trouble, in heartache. We... Hallelujah. But if we are not careful and if we are not purposeful, the church will be a place where people will gather to focus on themselves in the presence of others. Okay, hon. if we are not careful and if we are not purposeful, 
The church will become a place where we will focus on ourselves in the presence of others. My need, my hurt, my pain. What would happen if I thought, what about her need? What about his hurt? What about that family's pain? And a steady diet. Listen to Pastor Knight. Steady diet of that type of mentality of just focusing on yourself. You know what that will do overall for a church? It will curb people from wanting to even gather together at the building. Because they can focus on themselves anywhere. They don't have to be at church to do that. But if there's an ebb and flow of mutual concern, then let it be that they can't find that anywhere else except the church. Oh God, except the house of the Lord. You say, Brother McGee, Brother McGee, but don't we need fellowship with God? Yes, we need fellowship with God, just like Adam needed fellowship with God. But we also need all things common with other individuals of humanity as well. What would happen, I ask you tonight, if we were all, as the scripture stated in Acts 4, of one heart and one soul? In the gift of touch, a writing of hell and coat. And I know I've thrown a lot of stuff at you, but there's stuff that gets stuck in the crannies of my brain that come to the surface at times like this. Amen. In the gift of touch, Helen Coton says that hemoglobin in the blood increases significantly when we are touched. Hemoglobin is that part of your blood that carries the vital supplies of oxygen to your heart. And to your brain. In a literal sense. When I touch her. I've just increased hemoglobin. And oxygen. To her brain. And to her heart. Just from a touch. I wonder brother Malone. If in the realm of the church. I'm not talking about everybody come up for prayer and we're going to hold hands and sing come by y'all. <laughs> but I wonder what would happen if it was, is everything okay? Right. Wonder what would happen somebody that was need and it was appropriate of a man to a man or a female to a female if we could just put their arm around them say, I think everything's going to work out. Been praying for you. I wonder, I wonder what type of influx would happen in the realm of the spirit if just through the gift of connection. Was somebody that meant something to us because we had interdependence? Huh? 
You know how it is when a mom or dad embraces a child regardless how old or how young they may be. That child knows how it is to feel the warmth embrace of somebody that they love. That comfort, that that if you will, that peace that comes in the eye of a storm simply from a touch. I wonder if we could just lay a hand on a shoulder or in a hand or embrace somebody that was hurting. Hallelujah. If it could bring health just through the transfer of a touch. And I realize tonight that that's on the physical level. But what would happen tonight if we touched each other in an emotional and a psychological level and way in the church? What would happen if I allowed your hurt to become my concern in prayer? What would happen if I interceded for your need and supplied your need where I was capable of supplying it? What would happen if we had all things common? Stand with me tonight. I'm not hitting the hour. I'm at almost 50. Perhaps, imagine with me for a moment. Perhaps people would like to come to church where they would be loved unconditionally. Perhaps they would like to come to church where people would encourage them and exhort them to love. Exhort them to good works rather than criticize their struggles. Perhaps our hearts, our thoughts, and our mindsets and our souls would be knit together in such a way that as one was impacted, everyone would be affected because we had all things in common. See, it's easy for me to dismiss your need when I'm just focused on my need. It's easy for me to go home and be swallowed up in what I'm going through because it's tough and hard and not even give second thought to what you're going through because I'm going through something. And I believe society in a certain way has has trained us for this, that if we don't look after ourselves, then no one will. But what if the dynamic of the church changed? That it doesn't matter how often or how long I attend to other people's hurts and needs. I know the community of the church that as I'm doing that for others, it's going to be reciprocated mutually to me. All things common. Same spirit, same power. But there were other connections. That was more than just them sharing the same ground. They were, in essence, sharing portions and pieces of their life in a safe place of a community called the church. All things common. What I'm trying to say tonight, if we bow our heads, There may be someone here this evening that you're suffering the loss of a hand. I'm just wondering if there could be somebody else in this place that could supply the other appendage in this moment. Say, here's the church.
ears are open tonight. All things come. Can somebody supply somebody else's lack? Can somebody be the strength for the weakness of somebody else? Can we do more than share space? Can we interdepend in each other's lives? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.